Hello and welcome to Nerd Girl Musings Podcast. My name is Jen and I'm so glad you're here. So first let's talk about some news that's out there. A uh, couple things that I'm excited about. We've got um, Handmaid's Tale coming out uh, just about a month from now. And so very excited to see that. I think I've talked about it before. I'm hoping for one additional season after this and that they then know when to say we've told the story enough is enough. So we'll have to see how that goes. Um, Netflix apparently saw all the love that Happiest Season received um, that was on Hulu this year. And they have decided to come out with a gay rom-com for Christmas. I'm not as excited about this one, I'll be honest, uh, probably because it just seems sort of cliche to me. Um, And it sounds like a reverse on Happiest Season, so I kind of feel like we've been there, done that already. Um, But this one is about... A guy convinces his friend to be in a fake relationship with him, but the mom sets him up with a trainer that, I, I don't know, it's some, you know, love triangle thing gone wrong or everybody falls in love with everybody, I don't know. But for good measure, they're throwing in Jennifer Coolidge, who I actually do love, um, and uh, Kathy Najimney. So that's great. It just doesn't sound like something that's really that interesting to me, so I'm going to pass on that, but um, for your information. Um, Let's see what else is going on out there. Uh, I know that, gosh, is it Black Widow that they announced in the last day or so that was coming out on Disney Plus and releasing in the theaters at the same time? So that'll be interesting. Um, And... We'll have to see how that goes. I haven't heard if they're if it's going to be a pay, uh, like they did with Mulan, or if now they're just saying you get to watch it. So, um, I know with HBO they wouldn't let you do a trial membership for Wonder Woman. So, you know, some of those things um, could be the same. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today, though, is Kid Ninety. Um, That was another documentary that came out from Soleil Moon Fry. Um, It just came out last, no, two weeks ago now, I think. Um, I've watched it two or three times already just to to get the full gist of it. And if you haven't seen it yet, stop and go watch it, especially if you are in that 30 to 40-year-old, probably closer to 40 to 45-year-old range where you've been in the 90s, where you grew up, maybe you were more than just a baby in the 90s, maybe you were like preteen to teen, high school and above. Um, I think you'll get more out of it. One, because all of the kids that we grew up with are in this documentary. I, I swear, she knew everybody. And and I know the circle in Hollywood had to have been small, um, and I am seeing Soleil Moon Fry pop up on every talk show, YouTube. She was on the Drew Barrymore show. Um, she's been on Kelly Clarkson. She, I mean, she's been everywhere in the last two weeks and, um, it, you know, but they were all old friends, which is kind of the cool thing, I think. Uh, 
But if you had any attachment to movie stars at that age, um, if you subscribed to, let's see, Tiger Beat, Teen Bop, um, I'm trying to think of all the other ones that I used to get. I, my walls were covered in between all the new kids on the block. Um, my walls were covered with half of the people that were in this documentary. So, um, and that was probably all the way through high school. But I definitely recommend watching it for a couple of reasons. One, I think, you know, we all have this fantasy about how amazing it must be to be this actor or actress. And in our minds, I think we think, oh, they make so much money. They can do what they want. They don't have to go to work or the work that they do is acting. So how difficult is it? And I think we create this amazing bubble that they must live in. Um, and in some ways, maybe it, that does happen. I think I think for certain celebrities, it, it may but I think this also shows some of the pitfalls that, like, Drew Barrymore fell into. These kids, 14, 15, 16-year-olds, were going to clubs that were 21 and up. They were having access to things that they shouldn't have. And then when they became teenagers and they were doing all the things that the rest of us did as teenagers, um, there was nobody really telling them no or you can't do that. I had school and sports that would keep me from doing things that maybe I wanted to do or I would have done, but I didn't because I was afraid to lose my position on a sports team or I was afraid to lose my scholarship in college or, you know, whatever the case might be. I had somebody telling me, here's the line you cannot cross and you have to, uh, you have to live in the positive parts of that world. And, um, to me, it was more important to play those sports than it was to get involved in activities that maybe some people I knew or some friends um, that I had that were doing things that I might have wanted to do, but I just didn't want to risk it. So that was enough for me. I also had parents that paid attention and would have kicked my ass if I would have done some of the things that these kids do. Um you know, I I didn't have a um, a curfew growing up because I was the type of kid that said uh, I self regulated my own curfew. I would say I'm going to be home by eleven, and I was probably home at ten thirty. But they always knew I was going to be home by eleven if I said that's when I was coming home. So they never felt they had to give me that curfew. I I did it myself. But again, for the very same reasons, I. I didn't want to jeopardize what I had going on. I knew when I had softball or track or a big a game coming up that I needed to prepare for. I was serious about that stuff. So, um, you know, these kids lived in a very different world. But what I loved about this is it was pre-paparazzi, really. Uh, they had it around events, which is what you would expect, but it wasn't invasive like it is today. Um you know, I think it's unfortunate the way that certain people have to live their lives due to everybody always having a camera in your face. And I think it's Mark Paul Gossler that that kind of spoke on this in the documentary. At one point, he says, you know, you would see a flashbulb go off and right away you would worry about, 
what was I doing a second before that that went off? Is there something that somebody can use against me? And, you know, although they choose this life to live in the public eye, I don't think anybody chooses that. Um, so, I don't know. It's, uh, it's definitely a different world today than it was for them then. But um, what I find interesting is, so she makes a big deal about opening the vault and going back to those days uh, when, when she was younger and certain things that she has never discussed before. She reads her diaries. She has her videos, her audio tapes. Um, you know, she really... She really has all of this information that she has tucked away in bins for 20 plus years. And it's, it's something that I think if, if we all could go back in time, there's a lot of things that we could resonate with for the, you know, it, that she does here. Um, and so there are some pretty serious topics that she discussed. And, you know, we're looking at it from a lens of being, I'm almost 44 years old, and I survived my teens. I survived those days, so I made it through. But these kids are in it. They're living in that moment. So um, we also have the benefit of knowing which one of these people in her documentary do not. And... The sad part about this is in her circle, she had a lot of friends that did not survive those teen years. They were, um, you know, they either had overdose, so they had addiction issues. There was a lot of suicide. And one thing that she talks about is that she, um, it, it took, kind of quote her, she says, I didn't see how much pain some of the people I loved most were going through. And she can see it now in the video, and now she can listen, and she, she's ready to listen. But at the time, she couldn't. And that makes me, you know, wonder in, in today's world, how many people do you know that are struggling in some way? And do you really see it? Um, are you able to have those conversations with people and do you have a relationship with somebody that you can say, hey, I'm struggling and this isn't a joke and it's not, you know, it's not attention seeking. There's truly an issue here and I can't, I can't get past this. So, you know, I think that's very valuable in today's world, even though she's looking at it through those lenses of shoulda, coulda, woulda, um, you know, and what you know now isn't what you knew then and she can't change anything, but you can move forward. And you can make it better for the next group. You can talk to your kids. You can talk to your friends. You can make sure that that circle is open for those kind of conversations. So there, there are some pretty deep topics. And when I went into the, the documentary, I was initially actually just thinking, we're going to relive these fun 90s. And, you know, I remember what I was doing in the 90s and the shows that I was watching and the you know, 902 O's and the Melrose Place, and I watched a lot of Baywatch. Um, I still can remember being on the phone with my friend Kara as we were watching Baywatch, and Shawnee and Jill were out 
and Jill gets attacked and killed by a shark. That is the one episode of probably all of them I ever watched that I have never forgotten. And that was probably an 80, uh, I don't even know what it is. When they replay Baywatch, you can't find that episode. I don't know why. (laughs) It's very weird. But I remember that one. And I remember her and I being on the phone crying. And, you know, we were really into it. So I was, you know, prepared for this wave of nostalgia and, you know, the fun and I was met with um, these heavy topics, and she has, uh, so let me back up. She carried around an audio recorder for years. Like, she wrote in a diary, and then she did an audio recorder, then she had a video recorder. She also kept all of her voicemails um, and kept everything, which is just amazing to me because I know how much tape some of those things used, Uh, VHS and (laughs) cassette tape. Uh, So she brings the people that we see in this documentary. We've got Stephen Dorff, David Arquette, Brian Austin Green, Mark Paul Gossler, Sarah Gilbert, uh, Tori Leonard, uh, her brother Mino, her dad, Baltzar Getty, Nicole... Simon, uh, Jonathan Brandis, Heather McComb, Sasha Jensen, Leo DiCaprio, Jenny Lewis, Mark McGrath, um, Danny Boy O'Connor, Rodney Harvey, Andrew Dorff. So, I mean, this list goes on. Some names might be familiar. Some may not be. Um, And you see them as these 13, 14, 15-year-old kids that are able to go to amusement parks. They're standing in line, recording video, hanging out like regular people, like you're waiting to go in just like I would do if I go to the amusement park. So it's a very different world from from what they would experience today. Um, She talks pretty frankly about how uh, after after Punky ended, um, she started developing and mainly her breasts and she talks about what a difficult transition it was for her to go from Punky Brewster to the next stage. The next stage should have been for her, you know, like 90210 characters or Buffy or something where it's like high school, early college, maybe if she could play that old. But it should have been high school. And instead, she said that she was offered these these real kind of tits and ass roles and Um, inappropriate roles for someone of her age because they were casting her body and not her. And I've heard this from other actors. Um, I've seen where they've really struggled to go from child actor to adult actor. You know, one, maybe they played a a character as a kid that you just can't get past. Um, I think uh, Dustin Diamond, who played Screech, I think he had some of that. You, I couldn't ever see him as anybody but Screech, ever. That was, that was it. And, um, you know, he, of course, went down a very different road and had a different result in his life. But um, I think some of them really struggle. So they can't get out of that kid role. And she, she ended up consulting a plastic surgeon, to get a breast reduction. And I remember when she did this, and I remember it making the news and being a big, big deal because she was young 
And it wasn't but a few years later that I went through the exact same experience. So I remember thinking it's not completely out of the norm for somebody of my age to need that. Look at Soleil Moon Fry just did it. And we had some very different reasons why, uh, but the result was the same. The result being I finally had confidence again. She finally had confidence in who she was. She could be herself. She could be her age. And what came from that is, is what it was. And her, you know, her life no longer revolved around her breast size. And, um, you know, you can kind of see there were a few times right before she had the surgery where her friends would even, you know, it was kind of a punchline. And, um, I, you know, I've been there and it's horrible. You make a joke about it so that way somebody else doesn't. Um, it's kind of, you know, that self-deprecating humor. And so I, I get that. I get where she was coming from. Uh, the other thing that you see is after she has that surgery, you see some really sweet moments between her and Jonathan Brandis. And I always adored him uh, in his movies, and I really liked him as an actor. Uh, so to watch him and how sweet he was and the messages he would leave her on her voicemails and, you know, hearing her discussions about him was was quite something knowing what happens and knowing that just a few few years later, he takes his own life. Um, you know, so that kind of stuff is, is pretty deep. It's really sad. Um, you know, they, they also did a lot of cuts between um, her talking on talk shows and going on telethons and things saying, you know, hey, say no to drugs, don't do drugs. But then they show a cut of her partying and, uh, the drugs she was doing and, and hanging out with her friends and stuff that they were doing at that time. She did make it clear when, uh, when I was watching, it might have been the Drew Barrymore show uh, where she was talking about that. And she said she wasn't literally at a telethon saying don't do drugs and then that night doing drugs. It was very separate times in life. They just happened to put them together because it, it seemed to tell the story the way that they wanted to. Um, again, not something that regular kids don't have access to, um, maybe not in the quantities or in the, the types that, that she would have had access to. But, you know, I knew plenty of, of people growing up that experimented with different things. And, um, you know, so again, normal teenage life. Um, she, she does have a couple of experiences, which I think were the most difficult to watch. And I wonder for her if they were the most difficult for her to talk about. Uh, because apparently this documentary took about four years for her to film and touch base with all of her friends and get them on camera again and um, to relive some of these moments. And there's, there's a particular moment where she is clearly with a few gentlemen, not sure where, um, and she's passed out, and you can hear the guys talk about what they want to do and kind of how they want to touch her, and then she apparently comes to, and they have a conversation about how she just all of a sudden doesn't remember anything. She was drinking ginger ale, so it wasn't like she was actually having alcohol or anything else, um, and to me, it really sounded like somebody slipped her something. Um, 
you know, it was there anything that happened? I mean, only she knows. She has the tape, of course. So she would actually know, but she she says she has no memory and no recollection of anything that would have happened. Um, and then there's another incident that she talks about being assaulted um, and what that experience was like for her uh, and how she said that she would not report it because she recognized her own um, complicity essentially in it, her own actions. And it makes me wonder, you know, as the mom to, to daughters, um, would she tell her daughter that that was, that was the right action? Um, you know, would she tell her daughter, yep, you're right. You, you played a part in this. Uh, or would she tell her daughter that is still an assault and that's still not right. So, um, she was very emotional at that point. And I think for me, that was the most impacting. It wasn't, there wasn't acting at this point. You could tell those were true emotions for her that were very difficult. Um, and something that she even said she, she didn't talk to anyone. She never told anyone. She just locked it away and didn't want to deal with it. And so now that she's opened the vault and she's opened up all of this information, this is another layer of the story for her that she has to bring forward because it is part of her story. But I do like how she ended up moving to New York. She went to an acting college out in New York um, where she kind of found herself again and uh, became who she was. Uh, you know, she didn't have much. She was living on a futon in an apartment. She met some some skater kids and became really close with them. There were like family out there. Um, and it was, I think it was a, a great opportunity for her to get lost in New York, to be one of hundreds of other people either making it or trying to make it out there. Um, and it grounded her back to who she was. And what I love is at the, at the end of this documentary, she reconnects with a lot of really great people who have been there for her all these years, or they're reconnecting again for the first time in 20 years. Um, and I love that she ends it with, she didn't know what true self-love was. She didn't feel it. She didn't, she didn't see it back then. But looking back on it, she can see how much she was loved and how much that love surrounded her and that she was, she was loved by so many people. And I just think that's a really good, a really good way to look at life that sometimes I think all of us feel this woe is me and, you know, I'm not lovable. I'm not someone to care about. But if you can step back a little bit, you can see that there are people that do truly care about you and that do truly wish you well and um, care about your well-being and your future. So uh, I, I highly 
highly recommend it. That's, you know, that's a 23 minute rundown on an hour and some minute um, documentary. I, it's, it's good. Definitely go take a look at it. Um, let me know what you think. I, uh, you know, again, being somebody that grew up with a lot of these people's photos plastered on my wall, um, I had a connection to it for that reason. And I just think it gives you a chance to think about your own experiences and what you may have been like back in those days. Uh, one thing she talks about is she did this to see if her memories were accurate, to see if what she thought was true about her life truly was true. And I think that sometimes those experiences don't match and that uh, we do create our own version of what happened, whether it's to protect ourselves, to to give our heart or our brain a better outcome than what truly happened. But, um, you know, what a, what a window into a few years of life for uh, this person that played a beloved character. And to be honest, it makes me love Punky Brewster and Soleil Moon Fry even more. So definitely go check it out. That's all I've got for you today. Stop on by Instagram. Say hello. I like it when people stop by and give me your thoughts. It's Nerd Girl Musings, and that's Nerd G-R-L. I'll talk to you later. Stay safe and be well.